right, it is finally, I do mean finally here. Game one of the World Series goes tonight at Minute Maid Park. Justin Verlander against Aaron Nola. Of course, the game will be on Sportsnet. And um, we'll be joined later on in the show by Tyler Kepner, national baseball writer for the New York Times, who's got a book out on, I don't know if I'd call it the hidden history of the world. Yeah, I guess you could call it the hidden history of the World Series. Some of the quirkier uh, stories, some of the quirkier aspects of the World Series, which is which has been around forever. And um, just reading some tidbits about the book, there's some intriguing factual items, occurrences, um, oddities, ironies surrounding the World Series. We have one, by the way. We have an, a heretofore, or hitherto, heretofore, whatever, unknown factoid about Kevin Barker in the World Series that I'm going to drop on you, but you're going to have to wait till the end of the show to hear it. <laughs> Barker didn't even know this. Why would but, I? Uh, well, I would. I, I, I admit I would know this about my career. If I, if I played, I would know this. You would not. But you can't even remember the name of the first car. Or, 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 or the, I mean, you, can't, you, you can't remember. You couldn't remember the name of the car that you, you, you gave away to, or the, <laughs> the type of car you gave away when you were in a home run in, in, a, in a hitting could So, I mean, I've given up. I mean, one of the beauties of doing a show with Barker is, you know, you talk to somebody and, like, you run into them a month later. And the guy says, yeah, yeah, I forgot. I played with Barker. <laughs> and they say to Barker, well, I don't know. I don't play. I don't, see. I don't know. I don't know. I hit my first, got my first hit off. I don't know what the count was. One thing I do know about you, Kevin, mm. one thing I do know about you, individual milestones didn't matter to you. There are people who will say, ah, I don't really kept it. No. <laughs> they, they, they did not matter. To you, which I, is good. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a bad. I'm not, I'm I'm saying you know what? You'd be awful at parties because you know what's going to happen. Well, that night we went out in uh, in in uh, Clearwater before the world ended, and we were having cigars. And I and I there were a couple of Phillies fans there. It ended. There were a couple <laughs> of Phillies fans there who actually who knew you, who kind of were they overheard us talking. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. Barker with some real fans, and he's going to be telling them stories. No. Nah. It was like they had to pry stuff out of them, and these were good. These these were two really good. Now these dudes were a little hammered, but but I mean they weren't annoying, and they were like, uh, you know, who's your favorite manager? Who's your favorite teammate? And who, yeah, it was like prying, it was like pulling teeth. So I I do like that about you. You do not brag about your career, which is good. I guess it's some, I guess it's some bat in the majors, and I'm turning myself into you know Hall of Famer. Yeah, I was I was always that, always that guy that thought I was going to have 15 years in the big leagues, and and I was the one that's going to tell everybody that I was quitting, and it never, and it never worked out that yeah. way. So you know, I, I I tend to everything I got, I felt like I earned, and you know, it wasn't like I was every time I hit a home run off a certain person, I went home and used my little ink pen and put it down on paper just so I could tell Jeff Blair when I was ending up doing this show in Canada in downtown Toronto. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, so, yeah, we've got a little bit of Barker history we're going to drop on you. And it'll, it'll, I know this. I will say this. It will enhance your viewing pleasure during the World Series because every time – 
Well, I'm not going to go any further, but it is. It's a it, it's a very integral part of Barker baseball history. Better be good. Look. You're set. Well, you're setting well, it up like it's great. Well, it is. You know, I've got my the Barker historian has uh, has weighed in. And, yes, uh, he is Tim the Hayes. best. Tim he Hayes is the best. Is the best. Mm-hmm. And um, he he uh, did some deep dive. Did a deep dive into Barker baseball history. So. Uh, we will do that later on in the show. As I mentioned, we will also be joined by Tyler Kepner. Larry Boa will join us. Uh, you want to talk about, I mean, the face of the face of the Phillies franchise. I look at guys like, now this is, I, I am aging myself, but I mean, Mike, Sh- Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa, uh, Maddox to a certain degree, Gary Maddox. I mean, there were a ton of guys that I, I kind of looked at as being, faces of those Phillies teams that I grew up with and uh, Larry Boa who is now a senior advisor to the general manager will join us in a few minutes and Larry's done everything I mean he played he's managed he's coached uh, he has uh, of course been a been a uh, been a TV analyst as well a radio analyst I mean he's done basically everything you can do in uh, in baseball and um, look forward to uh, to his insight on uh, on the Phillies and uh, you know, really, I, I, it's interesting seeing Kevin seeing the uh, sort of the storylines that are already developing just out of that one media day and um, a lot of aspects. You know, I didn't know that I didn't know that Justin Verlander hadn't hasn't won a game in the World Series in his career. Like you just assume that he's. Um, I mean, you, you, you just assume that he's one of the dominant pitchers of our generation. Uh, yet his World Series stats aren't good. Um, you know, we know about Dusty Baker. Uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today dropped this little nugget today, and it was interesting in a discussion with Dusty Baker. The first World Series in which there isn't an African-American player in how many years did Bob say? Like, there's just, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of storylines surrounding this World Series, and, I, and as we've said, I think we're both in agreement that this is going to be really, this is going to be a good World Series. I think if you're a baseball fan, this is going to be the type of World Series you want to see because there's a lot of good matchups here, and a lot of strengths play off each other. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, there is. Well, the Astros are the are the front runners to win this thing, and there's a lot goes with that, right? There's a lot of pressure on them to put this thing away and not give the Phillies hope. And you know, the Phillies, those first four guys in that order, however you want to sprinkle them in there, whether it's Bryce hitting third or fourth. Uh, it's about the Astros keeping those four dudes in the yard, and who could be the X factor after those first four guys? That's that's the thing. And how will the Astros handle Citizens Bank Park? You know, I, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, they've been booed forever because everybody, well, most people hate that team and that organization because of uh, 2017. But how will they handle Citizens Bank Park? Seems like it's a home field advantage. We're going to ask Larry about that. How hard is it to go in there and play this time of the year? So that'll be an inter- intriguing kind of thing to see how the Astros handle that. And the Verlander thing, being 0-6 with an ERA in, in, in the mid-fives, that a big deal? Like so a lot of that is is not this Verlander. You know, this guy's a little smarter, under, understands how what makes him tick, how he's – getting certain guys out the extra gear that he talks about but i will say this actually 
hearing him saying it out loud and saying he's sort of like Dusty has something to prove, mm-hmm. this is a big deal to him, that means you're thinking about it. And when you think about it, you tend to try too hard. You try too hard to locate. When you try to do that, you miss middle. And that's the thing, right? When he's been struggling here in the playoffs, it's because of the fastball command. And you've seen the Phillies. When they get a good one, no matter how hard you're throwing it, they tend to not miss it. So it's interesting to see that, the nine days off between him and Nola. Both guys have had nine complete days off. That's a long time, Jeff. How's that going to look early? And can, if you're one of these lineups, get after that pitcher early to sort of burst the bubble, right? That's what you want to do early in a series is burst the bubble. That would be an intriguing thing to watch, too. So it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's, uh, let's get to Larry Boa. Uh, he is a senior advisor with the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, senior advisor to the general manager, and he joins us on Blair and Barker. Larry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your, uh, for your patience. Um, okay. How has this World Series been viewed in Philadelphia compared to other, to other World Series, other World Series the teams have been involved in? Was this a little more surprising, a little more unexpected? I would say surprising because of the way we started off. Uh, and then we really didn't have a great month in early September, but once the playoffs started, we started playing real good baseball. So uh, if I had to categorize it, I would categorize it that way. Uh, you know, the other two World Series, the one in 80 and the one in uh, 2008, those teams were expected or they thought that we were supposed to win. And I, I don't think anybody expected us to get in the World Series this year, but we we definitely thought we were going to be in the playoffs at the start of spring training, but with a slow start, um, things sort of panned out for us later on as the season progressed. Larry, this time of the year, how hard is it to play in Citizens Bank Park for an opposing team? It's, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard. It's an intimidating crowd. They, they're very loud. Um, you know, uh, I don't think San Diego had any idea what they were getting into. Same with Atlanta. Uh, it, it's a great baseball town as far as uh, their loyalty. You know, once we get things rolling here, they're all on board. And it's normally been uh, an Eagle town for the last, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years. And uh, the Eagles are undefeated right now. We haven't heard anything on any of the sports shows or anything the last 10 days here in Philly. Larry, of course, one of the stories we're following up in Canada is Rob Thompson takes over halfway through the year from Joe Girardi. The team goes to the postseason. Of course, they are now in the World Series. You've been in that spot. You have managed a team. Give me your, you know, give me your view on Rob Thompson. What has made him the right fit for this particular group? Well, first of all, he's done a tremendous job. But people don't understand. He's paid his dues. He's been in the minor leagues a long time. He's rode buses. He's, he's been in charge of the whole minor league system with the Yankees. He's coached under Joe Torre. Uh, he's got great communication skills. He's very patient. He doesn't panic if uh, a guy in the lineup's 0 for 16. He tries to keep the, the lineup consistent. He's been consistent with his bullpen, especially towards the end of the game. He's got two or three options down there, and when that phone rings, it's going to be one of those three guys. I just think the, that he's settled everything down. And, uh, you know, if you have a camera on him, it doesn't know. You don't know if we're winning 10 nothing or losing 10 nothing. But he's done a tremendous job and been rewarded for it. But he had he's had to wait a long time to get this opportunity, and he finally got it. And uh, it's definitely paid off, not only for Rob, but for the Phillies. 
Speaking of Philly's lineup, those first four guys are something else. And sort of, you know, it sounds like Bryce Harper's either going to be in the three or the four spot. He could book in in that cleanup spot. Uh, You've been around a long time. Uh, Where does Bryce Harper rank in the players that you've seen? Just big moment, right? It's it's they handle it differently than everybody else. Where does he rank? He, I will, you know, he's come up big in these playoffs. There's no question about that. Uh, He got a big hit against San Diego, a home run. Uh, You know, in Philadelphia. the year we won it in 80, we had uh, Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton and, of course, uh, the 08 team uh, with with uh, Utley and, and Jimmy Rollins. Uh, you know, he's right up there as far as big moments, and he can solidify that even more by having a very good World Series. He, You know, he's a guy that uh, when you go into a clubhouse on the other side, most managers say they pick one guy out and say, don't let this guy beat us, and I think Bryce is that guy on our club. However, I will say this. We're pretty deep, one through nine. We got guys at the bottom, seven, eight, nine, that have come up with big hits, home runs, big plays. So it's a deep lineup. It's a lot deeper, I think, than than Houston's lineup offensively. Now, pitching wise, I would say Houston probably has depth wise now a little bit of an advantage depth wise. But I'll take our three starters with their three starters, and we'll see what happens starting tonight. Larry, how much? Uh... How concerned would you you be about all this rest turning into rust for some of these pitchers? I think it's good for pitchers. Uh, I mean, uh, if you look at Houston, they've done this twice now. They had five days, and now this time they've had four. This is the first time the Phillies have had more than two days off. So uh, if I'm an everyday player, I don't like that length of time off. But if I'm a pitcher, these guys have pitched every fifth day all year. Uh, I think the big thing you got to look at is command. Uh, early in the game, if the command's off a little bit, it could prove to be disastrous for whether it be Verlander or Nola. But usually when you have extra rest, you're, you're over-amped a little bit. Maybe you're overthrowing a little bit. It might take a couple innings to settle in. And in the World Series, uh, it, it's very uh, tough to, to spot a team early in the game. So I'd be looking for command issues first. As far as the hitters, uh, I, I think the hitters are good. You know, you're – your attention span right now, paying attention to detail and everything, is it is it at its highest it's ever been? I don't think it's going to be an issue for the hitters, uh, uh, especially you know when you get in that batter's box, you're ready to go. But uh, Verlander and Nola, I would look for command issues early, and if they don't have command issues, that means they're on point. If you take a look at Nola in particular and Wheeler, every time they have extra days rest, they've done exceptionally well. Last question for you because we know you have a TV hit coming up. Uh, the Phillies defensively, that was one of the talking points throughout the year. Someone who was a pretty good defender when they played. Do we make too much of that with the Phillies? Is, because it seems to me that, that since Stott has, has taken over, uh, it, it seems as if the defense is a little better. And, of course, Brandon Marsh, I think, has, has really been an upgrade as well. Yeah, both those guys have really improved our defense. But you're right. Uh, we can't give a team like Houston like more than 27 outs. We got to make routine plays, and we've been very fortunate in the last playoff series against San Diego and even Atlanta and St. Louis. We've made some mistakes and uh, we've overcome them. Guys got big hits, whether it's Hoskins or Harper or JT. But uh, in a World Series, you know everything's magnified. You you got to make routine plays now, and if we give more than 27 outs to a team like Houston, we could be in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, we like I said, we've overcome some mistakes, and hopefully it doesn't happen in the World Series. But our offense seems to be uh, an offense that picks somebody up if we make a mistake in the field. So, uh, ideally, 
I hope we make all the routine plays. And if we can do that, I think we have a little good chance of winning this thing. Larry, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much, my friend. Be well. Thanks, Larry. All right, guys. You take care. Take Thank care. You. That's Larry Boa. What a great player he was, man. Like I said, I love those Phillies teams that that, uh, that Boa was on. And I was lucky enough to cover a little bit of those those teams towards the end mm-hmm. uh, when I started covering baseball. And then, of course, the, the other Phillies teams, the Chase Utley teams, the Jimmy Rollins teams. Um, there really is... I was trying to think back because I've covered a couple of postseason series at Citizens Bank Park. And I've covered a couple of postseason series at the Vet. And I always... F- the Vet was, of course, one of those round cookie-cutter stadiums. But I always found it really loud and really unruly. Nah, yeah, unruly uh, compared to Citizens to Citizens Bank Park. Uh, different vibe, as I said. Citizens Bank Ballpark is—it's a baseball park, right? It was built specifically for baseball. I think they may have played an outdoor hockey game there, but it's a—it's a baseball park. The vet was uh, Eagles. It always felt more like an Eagles, uh, an Eagles game, or a, an Eagles stadium than it did a baseball stadium. And uh, and by the way, if you ever you know on a sports bucket list, things you want to do that you probably don't know you want to do. You do want to go see the Eagles play a game. Hmm. It is. I, I I was lucky enough to see the Eagles play a game uh, in their new place, and that was that was something else. <laughs> yeah. That was like you see a lot of stuff at an Eagles game you won't see any place else. You know, like I know everybody talks about the Bills Mafia and all that, folks. Until you go and and see people tailgate in the parking lot in Philadelphia and see what goes on in the stands at an Eagles game, it, completely different. I, it's I just really I, rowdy. Really I tried to fun. I tried to put myself in a situation where you're thinking about if you're a visiting team going to a rowdy place to have to play against a team that's good like the Phillies. I I, I just don't know how that's a factor. I, I I probably think that just because of the noise and and it sort of gets you off of the the thought process of what you're trying to do at the plate in the field on the mound, even as a manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, in winter ball, I used to use ear, earplugs. You because that, the, yeah. the noise would make me a little numb, and I would forget what I was trying to do. It had nothing to do with people booing you or throwing things at you, because that happened. It was kind of funny, right, that you would get batteries yeah. thrown at you, rocks or bottle tops. That was a big thing. You had to be careful where you were stepping on, on certain parts of the field. I, but I, it never bothered me to the point where it was affecting the kind of player I was. So. That's an interesting thought that Larry was talking about how the Braves had to handle that, San Diego had to handle that. And will this affect the Astros? Again, if it's 1-1 going in there, maybe. If it's 2-0 Astros, you think that's going to bother the Astros? Absolutely not. So I do think for the Phillies team, it's very important to at least split in Houston to make the crowd effective when they do go back to Citizens. Listen, I think you're absolutely right. I think this this series – being a series depends on Philly winning one of the first two games. I, that probably sounds a little <clears throat> obvious. You'd rather be tied 1-1 or up 2 nothing than down 0-2. But in this particular series, I think it's vital that the Phillies win with one of their two studs on the mound. And that, I'll tell you what, if the Phillies do win tonight, then I think we're locked into a long series. If they if, if if they win tonight, I think we're we're locked into seven games. This is just, I, I'm not basing this on any great mathematical format. Just my gut. My gut tells me that if the Phillies win tonight, she's going seven. The Astros win tonight, 
then we'll see where it goes. But um, well, I, if you're, the, you're the Phillies. You want to get it back to game six up 3-2. That, that's the whole point ideally, there is absolutely. to go in there and then you're sort of – you got your pitching lined up the way you want it lined up. Wheeler should be going in game six. So, yeah, the, one of these two games you got to split if you're, if you're the Phillies. And it just seems like they've all bought into Citizens Bank Park being home field advantage way higher than anywhere else anybody's ever played before. So we'll see. I think it depends on who's standing on the mound. I do give you that a little bit. And I think it's about whether the series is 1-1 or 2 nothing. One of the things we've often talked about <clears throat> is how pinch hitting is the toughest thing to do in baseball. Um, and, and, you know, in your major league career, you – at times where you didn't play for a while. Then you had to go up and bat. Then you didn't play for a while. Then you had to go up and bat. So how different is it, Kevin, being in that situation compared to being an everyday player who's got three or four days off? Because it was interesting. Larry right away said he thought it, was, it, it, it impacted the hitters more than the, the, the time off, impacted the hitters more than the pitchers. Right? The pitchers timing. are just going to be thankful for the rest. Mm-hmm. Hitters don't necessarily feel that way. How do you... What would you do? Let's your, I don't know. You're Kyle Schwarber. You've got all this time off. Are you spending time in the cage? Are you working on video mainly? Are you just trying to keep it a regular routine? How are you going about managing that? Yeah, I, I think the regular routine's a big deal. I, I do think they have machines now that can emulate, do you know, the braking stuff, the velocity on the guy you're going to face. So you've got an advantage there where you can keep the timing, you can keep the athleticism with your lower half. A lot of the times when you don't play, uh, it's real simple of you try and get out and get the ball. You know, they all, what's great hitters always do, Jeff? They let the ball travel. They use the entire field. Well, when you don't play a lot, you don't see pitching and you don't see release points, you tend to want to go get the baseball, which means you lose your lower half, which means your barrel is going to drag. And when it drags, it plays catch up and you don't barrel the baseball up the way you want to barrel it up. And you don't hit it as hard as you want to hit it. It's sort of what Jordan Alvarez is going through. You can tell his lower half, if they show the side view, you, you can see him leaking, and when he leaks, which means his hands follow his lower half. It's not the separation. Everybody talks about the rubber band, which is where you get your athleticism and where you get your maximum power is you want the separation, which means the front foot hits the ground, the hands get the little separation, and there's a little pause before you throw your hands at the baseball. When you haven't seen live pitching in a long time, you tend to – leak and they follow and they come along together and that's when you're playing catch up and you don't hit the ball the way you want to hit it i I do think that's an issue but i want to say nine days rest for two starting pitches i don't think that's good like, I, I understand they want the rest, and, and, you know, you should have a little longer leash with them because they are well-rested, and, and they should have, you know, full reign of all body parts to go where they want them to go, all these kind of things. But, man, like, you know, Larry was talking about the velocity and overthrowing, and, you know, it's that slowing it down, and then on top of it, you're adding the heartbeat. Yeah. I Like, that That for me, early, at least early in the game, will be something you want to watch. And I just don't know who has the advantage. Verlander is fighting the 0-6 with the ERA in the mid-fives. Nola has never been here before, so he's mm-hmm. fighting that. Who's going to win? Who's going to win it early? That'll be something you does, need to watch for, too. Does it mean anything for a hitter or a pitcher to – I'm going to make this sound really simple, so forgive me, but – to have a good memory about their last game in the park. I'm talking about Aaron Nola. Pretty good memory the last time he pitched in Houston. 
right? No sure. hitter, through six. No hitter, a perfect game, six in the third, whatever it was. Uh, the Phillies clinched that day. And yes, you're right. It wasn't, you know, Houston's just trying to keep everybody healthy. Does that matter when you go into a visiting park if kind of your last memory, your dominant memory is something good? Like if you go into a visiting park and you've hit well there before, mm-hmm. or I don't know, you go into a visiting park and you can remember, man, Last year, I had a three-run home run that won a game. But does that matter at this time of the year? I, I would think it would matter. Big sample size, one game. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. Right. right? It's that you show up, your fastball's good, your breaking ball's good. You're locating You're twenty both for thirty-five in a, in a visiting ballpark. You know it. And you're that's confident. Good. You're that's confident, right? And, yeah. Absolutely, and that could help you with you know a little bit of time off, just knowing you have that to lean on. The bat, the batting eye is better in that park than other parks. You see the ball better. You see it longer. You can recognize break later, which helps mm-hmm. you lay off a certain kind of pitches. So there's a lot of confidence, and baseball is a lot of confidence when you're wherever you're playing, whether it's pitching, defense, running the bases, hitting, whatever it is. It, I, I just think for me, it's the heart rate. How how are guys at least early in games? Because these are these offenses. If you got guys that are hot, are quick striking, they can put you away quick. Like it is first inning, you know, you got a, a bloop and a bomb, and then a bloop and a bomb. Phillies up four nothing. Look All of a facing. sudden, it makes look it at the first eight hitters in this game. The first four for the Phillies and the yeah. first four for the Astros. Sure. Look at who they are. So it's the heart rate. It's 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 pitching ahead it's having command of the secondary pitch it's you know it's the fastball command of not down the middle which is what Verlander did in the bad start that he had it was too much down the middle it's I I just I I do think because the Astros have a better defense all around than the Phillies do that will help them at least early because you would think Verlander's probably not going to have all of his best stuff early they're going to put balls in play you need your defense to step up a little bit early so I do think there's an advantage there uh, look I, me the big thing is how does Verlander keep that lineup in the yard that's the thing I mean it's line to line in minute mate I mean, I, I guess left center is probably the biggest part and maybe dead center, but anywhere else, Jeff. I mean, it's not like you you got to completely square it up. You can create a little backspin right. and stay through it because of these boys can hit the, ho- the home run the way they can. That'll be the thing. Can Nola control the heartbeat, and can Verlander early on keep that lineup in the yard? Game one of the World Series goes tonight at Minute Maid Park. Tyler Kepner is the New York Times baseball columnist. He's author of The Grandest Stage, A History of the World Series. Perfect time to discuss the history of the World Series. Tyler Kepner joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I think Dusty and I both would like to check off, uh, you know, uh, my first World Series win, his first World Series championship. I think, um, you know, that'd be uh, a wonderful thing for us to have on our career list. Um, you know, I, I think I'm not, it's not my goal, though. My goal is not to go out there and win a baseball game. Um, you know, there's been games in the World Series that I don't deserve a win. There's been games that I thought I pitched well enough that we could get a win. It just didn't work out. It just, you know, at this point in the season, personal goals like that just don't matter you know try to win the game however you can I I was one of the happiest people in the world 
uh, game one against Seattle when we won that game. You know, I pitched like crap, but we won. Um, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, you know, so uh, it would be nice, though. <laughs> I love that at the end. It would be nice, though. Justin Verlander, one of the, uh, I guess, oddities, because we, we look at Justin Verlander as one of the great pitchers of our generation, certainly a Hall of Famer. Uh, Justin Verlander is 0 and 6 with a 5.68 ERA and seven career World Series starts. Four of those are with Houston, three with Detroit. His teams are 1 and 6 in the seven World Series start. The only win was Game Two of the 2017 series, which I think went 11 or 12 innings. And um, Verlander's start tonight, and he is starting against Aaron Nola, will be his 12th in Game One of any postseason series which ties him with John Lester for the most in uh, AL and NL history. That is one of the, uh, I, I guess, interesting tidbits or, or, or factoids uh, about the World Series. There's always a ton of them. Our friend Tim Hayes of the Bristol Herald Courier, which is Barker's hometown newspaper, also has one. And Kevin, I know you didn't know this. I wonder if Dusty Wathen even knows this, but uh, the Phillies' nope. third base coach, Dusty <laughs> Wathen, was traded by the Padres to the Brewers on March 24th, 2002, for, you guessed it, Kevin Barker. You had no idea about that, did you? No clue. Uh, so abs- there you abs- are. If you're, you're watching not. the game tonight, when you watch uh, the dude windmilling Bryce Harper home, you can look at that guy and say, if you're talking to your buddies, you know, that guy was traded for Kevin Barker one time. You might even be able to win a uh, win a beer off that. Oh, that's what I mean. Nice. You had no, you don't even know who you've been traded for. See, if I was, if I played, if I had won at bat in the majors, I would tell you, I'd be able to tell you the weather, the game time. I'd be able to describe the faces of the first, probably first thirty people behind the dugout, all that stuff. That's the difference between me and you. You'd have been happy to be there. I was, I was thinking that I was going to be there till I was fifty-five years old, and they were going to have to rip the jersey off me. Didn't work no, that way. That is true. That is true. I am happy to be there. I would be Mister Happy to be there. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Tyler Kepner is a baseball columnist with the New York Times. He's author of a new book, The Grandest Stage: A History of the World Series. And Tyler Kepner joins us on Blair and Barker. Tyler, thanks for doing this, man. Great to talk to you again. I trust you're doing well and the the family's keeping well and everything's going good. Uh, I got to ask you this. Now, there have been a ton of books written on the World Series. Um, I mean, it's been around forever. It's certainly been one of the most widely covered sports events ever. How did you go about conceptualizing the idea of doing a book on the history of the World Series, but maybe sort of taking the path less traveled, I guess. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I, I really didn't want to make it a like a reference book, a, a, you know, a book that uh, is just a, a strict chronology. Um, and there there are a bunch of those um, and also a bunch of websites where you can look at that stuff. Um, but what I wanted to do was, was kind of share with the readers my own uh, perspective um, on the series and the things that interest me. And it's not, you know, I'm in it a little bit um, just here and there to kind of make a connection with the the reader, but it's mostly just about my, the things I find interesting and and the viewpoints um, 
that I have. So I, I separate it into, into themes rather than rather than eras. You know, themes that are are universal um, in this in this event going back to 1903. So um, managing in the World Series and some of the moves and and, and some of the strategies over the years, um, building teams that that get to the World Series. You know, what are the keys to constructing these rosters and and, and making them work? Um, unsung heroes, um, guys who failed in the big moments um how to handle the pressure of 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 the the stage and then um and then a chapter where i kind of go through a lot of the the major moments that people know about the 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 highlights um of the world series that are you know well known to anybody who would read this book and i go in the background form you know i go like not just about kirk gibson's homer but about the walk to mike davis that that set it up you know and, and how that how that happened, how Dennis Eckersley could possibly, uh, you know, walk um, uh, a 196 hitter to bring up um, this dangerous situation with Kirk Gibson. So those kind of things I found really fun and a way to maybe bring a new uh, new way of looking at it. Is, is there a story that you heard that was the hardest to believe that you were like, no way, and you really had to dig in to figure out, yeah, it actually is true? <laughs> well, as I was researching, I realized like I always thought that it, the Black Sox World Series was was just a giveaway by the uh, by the White Sox, you know. And, and even if 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 some of them were trying and some of them weren't, and, and it was some games but not the other, um, it was just it was just tainted. And you figure you always look at it from the perspective that the White Sox gave it away. Um, but I never realized that the Cincinnati Reds that year were a lot better. Um, that they were. They, you know, they had a, a better record. They were the best Reds team in, in history, better than all the big Red Machine teams. Um, and the White Sox had some some key injuries anyway to a Hall of Fame pitcher that they had, Red Faber. So um, that was like, you know, that was really eye opening. So that's kind of how I, I I looked at the uh, the Black Sox um, World Series, and, and 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 you know, tried to do that, try to do that throughout. Tyler, was there a person you spoke to for this book that? you came away thinking you know you, you just came away thinking wow i didn't I, I just i didn't know i didn't know that interview was going to go that good i mean we've all had those interviews right where you talk to somebody and yeah well i'm doing the interview you come away thinking wow that was like you know half an hour to 45 minutes of my time that was really 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 well spent right yeah that you that you didn't you know that that, that i wasn't expecting it to be like that yeah yeah, yes. well, I, I, you know, I had one. It was actually, it's, it's sort of funny. It was um, John Stuper pitched in the '82 World Series. He was an unsung hero. I kind of led the unsung heroes chapter with him because he was a pitcher for the Red, for the Cardinals and and didn't last very long. Um, but he pitched. I remember Game Six uh, when the Cardinals were facing elimination against the Hall of Famer Don Sutton, and he pitched. He went the distance. He went through rain delays and. Just grinded it out because he wanted to, to um, you know, to save the bullpen, and he was uh, a little bit <laughs> leery about talking to me because of where I work. The New York Times, he, he told me I'm very conservative. I don't know if I should be talking to the New York Times. I said, <laughs> John, I said, John, look, man, I don't have, I don't, I'm not going to ask you about politics. I really don't care. And if I didn't talk to conservatives, I wouldn't have much of a career as a baseball writer because that's just the way baseball is. So I'm like, exactly. I really don't care. We're gonna. We're gonna talk baseball and have fun, and and once I put it in those terms, he was he was tremendous, and I really don't care, you know, what anybody thinks about politics. One of the things I love about baseball is that we don't have to think about uh, all that stuff. Um, we can just talk about the game, which which unites us. And he was uh, 
he was terrific. You know, I talked about how Don Sutton came over after the Cardinals uh, won and, you know, sought him out in, in the locker room and said, hey, kid, you know, they wouldn't have done this without you. Great job. You know, and that even though he had a short career, um, you know, maybe he got hurt by pitching through rain delays. Who knows? Uh, but he never regretted it for a second and went on to coach Yale for, uh, for 30 years. Yeah, one of the things that has always kind of interested me about uh, about baseball and about the moments is how the connections that are made between opponents, even in a situation where one guy ends up looking awful and the other guy's a hero, how it, 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 how how it, a lot of the players will kind of use that connection and build a relationship from it. I mean, I think of Joe Carter and Mitch Williams. Mitch Williams shows up at Joe Carter's charity golf tournament every year. You know, it took him a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But he shows up at Joe Carter's charity golf tournament. Do you find that in general, that there there's a lot of that in baseball where, you know, guys who might have been on the losing end of a particular matchup or a particular series actually have a bit of a relationship once the game is over? Definitely, yeah, and that's a great point. Probably, you know, one that I I note here and there, but not as a as a theme, and that that is a good theme, um, you know, because we 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 talk about you know we see how Mookie Wilson and Bill Buckner became um, mm. very close, and and how they did the autograph circuit together, and and Buckner would say that you know what he, he went through so much, uh, you know, so much took so much grief for making the error that ended Game Six that he might as well get some money for it, you know, and he's like I put my daughter through college with all those uh, all those autographs with Mookie. But beyond that, you know, he he, he forged a uh, a nice relationship with Mookie and, and got to interact with a lot of fans who didn't curse and yell at him and 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 respected the career he had and recognized that it was just a moment. And I think, you know, I think players, right? I mean, like players understand that you're going out there and competing, and the other guy wants it bad too, and sometimes you lose. And that Joe Carter and Mitch Williams don't have to be enemies because they wore different uniforms in 1993. They were both trying to win, and Joe was better that night, and and so so be it. Um, and also, it's a, it's usually a way to make money too. But uh, you know, uh, everybody likes that, so it, it, it all makes sense. And it really goes back to uh, you know the, the how Ralph Branca and, and Bobby Thompson were became good buddies, you know, and from and that was the shot heard around the world. Well, whenever I whenever I think about Bryce Harper now, I, I want to put him in the one of the greatest Phillies ever. It, is that fair? I know you grew up in Philly. You watched a, a bunch of great Phillies players. Uh, just because he hit one home run to left field, should I put? Should I be able to put Bryce Harper in the list of greatest Phillies ever? Well, he's getting there. I mean, it's only been four years, um, but. Uh, look, I mean, Jim Tomey's on the Phillies wall of fame and he was only there three years and, and they didn't go to the playoffs with him. Um, so I think that the, the great thing about Bryce is that when he went to the Phillies, he was all in and, and there was no looking back, no looking over his shoulder or, or I, I mean, no looking back and, and no looking uh, for an escape hatch. You know, there's no opt out in, and it's a Scott Boris contract of 13 years and there's no opt out. And I think that meant a lot to Phillies fans as a gesture of um, of commitment to him. And then the way he has handled himself and connected with the Philly fans, in combination, of course, with high-level production, um, has made them love this guy. And then he goes and hits that home run. So he already had all that goodwill from, from performance and attitude. And then he goes and hits the home run that propels him to the World Series. And... You know, even if this World Series is a disaster for the Phillies, um, 
you know, I, I think he'll always have that moment. And, um, yeah, I think he's he's going to be in the Pantheon. Um, I think it's more likely than not that, you know, eventually he'll he'll be in the Hall of Fame with a Phillies Phillies hat on his on his plaque. And and uh, so, yeah, he's he's going to be he's going to be well remembered here in this town. And, and there are still nine more years to go. Tyler, I think the first time I met you, Jason Stark introduced me to you in Philadelphia. You were yeah. uh, handwriting your own monthly <laughs> baseball magazine. I think, I don't know how old you were. Uh, I know your brother did uh, some of the, the cover illustrations. And I remember, Jay- I remember Jason saying, uh, we're all going to end up working for this kid at some point. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I know I, I, I remember that line. We're all going to end up working for this kid at some point. So you were a Phillies fan growing up. Uh, where would you rate? And I understand now that you're a reporter. I mean, you you know you you've got a much much broader um, broader spectrum of coverage. But I would be willing to bet that you still look at the Phillies box score. You still look at the Phillies result first thing in the morning. Where would you rank this Phillies team among your favorites? Um, well, it's a little different now because now it's sort of more based on. Uh, the fact that the fact that I care about the city and I care about a lot of people who love the Phillies and get wrapped up in it. I don't have any kind of special feeling for the the players any more than I do for players on other teams. You know, I, I go in that locker room and I look for you know good insights and and people who I'm I'm friendly with or know and and so it's it, it's it's like any other working um, working environment when I'm in the locker room. But when I went in the the city. Um, there is something fun, and there is something that, that that's still special um, because I, I do you know I have always thought about and 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 paid attention to the organization. So where it ranks for me, um, for me my 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 teams are all clustered within the years I was growing up. You know the the early '80s up through '93. Those are the ones that are always gonna just if we're being honest, you know have have the most meaning to me. But like you know '08 was amazing to watch those guys do that um and this year has been it's been really cool to, to be on that run too but there's something you know there's something special to to the groups that we followed when we were kids and there you really can't replace that I, I don't think especially when you get into the business and i still love it i mean i'm a fan i, I love it and like i said i it's fun for me when the phillies do well um but it's it's it's, there's never going to replace that sort of childlike you know wonder when you're just coming through so those teams will always be tough for me the book is entitled The Grandest Stage, A History of the World Series. It's by Tyler Kepner. Tyler, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself today. Travel safely, my friend. Enjoy the series. Thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks. All right, you're welcome, guys. And, hey, Jeff, I, if I had better business sense, you might have been working for me. I, but, uh, I'm honored just to be working working with you guys and with, with someone like Jason. So that's enough for me. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, Tyler. I appreciate care, it. Take All care. Right. Bye-bye. Yep. Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. I I remember that day. It was Jason down in the field, and uh, that and uh, this kid comes up. Very nice kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got this magazine that that he his brother did the illustrations for, and he wrote. Uh, and keep in mind, this was. I don't think Tyler will mind me saying this. This is before we all had laptops, so you oh. actually wrote it uh, and typed it out, and it was. Uh, I, it was just it was it was cool and um it, it listen it's a it's, it's a great book um you know the, it, this is always interesting to me like, Tyler talked about walking Mike Davis Dennis Eckersley walking Mike Davis before uh Kirk Gibson came to the plate and you know when you do 
when you break down some of the game's bigger events, the thing I've always liked about baseball is I don't believe there's such a thing as a predestined hit, right? But I think that what happens before something happens sets the stage for it. In other words, if there's somebody on third base, somebody comes up and hits a two-run home run, I guarantee you he was pitched differently than if there's nobody on third base, depending mm-hmm. on the time of the, you know, somebody in third base, I can't throw my splitter if it's in the dirt, it gets away from the catcher, all of these things build yep. up. But it is intriguing what happens if you go back and look at the events before the event, Mitch Williams and, and, and Joe Carter. A, lo- a lot of people will say Ricky Henderson being on base had a lot to do with that. You watch Mitch Williams' pitch to Joe Carter, yeah, you're in that game, you're Mitch Williams, you're, you're sure as hell aware where Ricky Henderson is if he's on the bases. And, and, and it's the stuff that leads up to the stuff that happens that quite often is, um, you know, is, is the interesting tidbit. It's the stuff that gets – it's the thing that gets lost. That's why we talk about, right, Dusty Baker being on deck when Hank Aaron hit his home run. Yep. Uh, it's just that's the thing about baseball because it's such an individual – it's a team sport, but it's so individually based that you can have those things like Mookie Betts. And or Mookie Betts, Mookie Wilson and Bill Buckner, or Joe Carter and Mitch Williams, or mm-hmm. Ralph Brank and Bobby Thompson, all this stuff. It's like it's, like Jeremy Pena got on before Alvarez hit his homer. Like Riamuto got on yeah, before exactly. Harper hit his homer. And Nobody's what did Harper gonna... say after the game? What did ha- the second thing Harper said after the game? Talked about JT Realmuto's at bat. Yeah, well, his home run wouldn't matter as much if Riamuto doesn't get on, and Pena and Alvarez's home run wouldn't have mattered as much if Pena didn't get on. So, yeah, it, it takes a collection of a of a lot of people to win championships and and have big time moments and. You know, I do think there is something with, with guys that can not only have talent and smarts, but actually slow the heartbeat down and not let the moment get too big. That's an art. Like, I think you're born with that. I'm not, I'm sure the more you do it, the better you get at it. But man, you, you got to be wired a little differently. And, and I, I just look at this series. I, I, I think we're going to get some of that. Like, there's some mm-hmm. guys that just don't look like they have a heartbeat. Like, it's, you know, Swar- Ranger Suarez is one of those guys for the Phillies. Who, what, like, you know, he's just that guy that seems like he doesn't have one. And you can bring him in. Rob Thompson feels good enough to bring him in in the ninth inning in big games and have him getting big outs. And so it's going to be an intriguing series to watch just, you know, before the moment. It's like that. Every little thing we're trying to pick apart to see, but it's that big moment, what happened before the big moment that we can ultimately talk and down it's... and break down and give guys credit for those. Yeah, and it's always kind of fun to see the guy who steps up when you don't expect them to step up, too. You know, I, I keep thinking back, uh, you know, one of the things I kind of learned this year, it just in, in reporting and all that, is I've forgotten about Jackie Bradley Jr. the year he won the MVP award in the, in the ALCS. And, and, and as he said, he had three good swings. <laughs> no, two home runs and a base loaded double. Those are pretty good swings. Well, sorry, I think one was a grand slam. Alex Cora said he had three good swings the whole postseason and won a series for us. But that happens, right? That stuff like that happens. Yeah. Uh, it, it is remarkable. Hey, Pat Borders, would he have no been question. your choice to be World Series MVP in those? No chance. All those great players. Yeah. And maybe we're going to get that guy this year. You know, maybe. Gene Segura, Trey Mancini, like the little, the little guys. Or Gene Segura's a good hitter, but you don't think he's going to help you carry a team to a championship, right? And you know, Bryson Stott's another guy. No question. Like there, there are, there are. Houston is a little harder to pick because they're so. 
I, God, they've been around for it. Like, who's the underrated player in Houston? Chaz McCormick, maybe. Everybody else, you know, would it surprise you if Gurriel won it? Nope. Altuve, nope. Pena, he's already won I think NL. it's a little Kyle Tucker. Not a ton of people know who Kyle Tucker is. Kyle you know, Tucker he could be, be a 30-30 guy. He was almost a 30-30 guy this year. He's sort of the forgotten guy in that lineup. He could be the one guy you, you're talking about booking in the top mm-hmm. five guys. If Altuve gets hot and Tucker gets hot, now if you're the Phillies, you're sort of in trouble, those kind of things. So, yeah, it's, you know, Alec Baum is another guy that we rarely, yeah, if ever, pick. talk about for the Phillies. Who's had the Terrific defensive pick. woes and and said the things that he said that about the playing defense and he doesn't care anymore and now he's sort of turned into this guy. He could be one of those guys that gets the giant hits or make the great defensive play, mm-hmm. throw a dude out from his knees at third base. So I can't wait to watch it, man. This is what this is what everybody sort of deals with the 162 game marathon to have fun watching these seven games. Hopefully, and hopefully we get seven great ones. And what I really like is the fact that with this time off guys are going to be healthy and because we have the dh i'm going to keep hammering this because we have the dh we're going to get to see bryce harper hit keep reminding people no dh you don't have bryce harper this year great point he would have had surgery six months ago or four months ago in his elbow the best players are on the field which is the most important part about baseball the best players are on the field no question they're rested and some of the best players are playing their best baseball right now which is the other thing bryce harper's Mm -hmm. not coming into this slumping you know, nope. it's it, it's I'm I'm really excited about this series. And uh, as I said, I've called the Astros in six. Um, but see what happens tonight. See what Aaron Nola does tonight. If Phillies win tonight and. Uh, well, I think we're going to get a long. It's series one game. Tonight. Don't get crazy. Yeah. You know what happens, though, Bark? You beat Justin Verlander. All of a sudden, Justin Verlander's now. His team is 1-8 and eight in games he started in the World Series. You got another start for him coming up, what, game five, game six? All you of got Framber Valdez to hand the ball, too. That's what you got. And you got Lance McCullers. And, and, of course, you know what? You got Christian Javier sitting there. There's another guy that we could be talking about at the end of the World Series is having played a significant Duve. Don't be afraid to show up, Altuve. That's it for us today. Game one of the World Series is tonight. We'll be back to break it down Monday, 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, if you're listening to us via podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And most importantly, have yourself a great weekend.